We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 17, if you would follow along. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Bold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with, him, with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man's lot, and they drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that those wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against the people has come great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. You may be seated. Would you join me? Father, we thank you for the beauty of this day and the opportunity to come together. In your name, and we pray that in these moments, you would consume our thoughts, that you would consume our desires, that all the attractions and attachments to this world might be unloosed, that we might focus upon you and be, uh, feel your grip upon us in a very strong and mighty way. Lord, we recognize that within each of our lives, there are many issues, many challenges that we're facing, 
many things that draw us after this world, that seek to uh, drive our roots deep into this world. And we pray that, Lord, you might give us spiritual discernment to recognize these and to turn from them, to sever them, that we might be uh, in pursuit of you and your holiness, your righteousness. Lord, we pray that uh, this church might be a beacon of hope and light that reflects only your glory in this community in which we live. Lord, as we have already heard today, though without your grace, Lord, we find ourselves right there among the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities, Lord, of the Jordan Valley, the valley of death, the valley of evil and sinfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your strong hand that redeems us. And we pray that we never lose sight of that and that we would live accordingly, keeping our full heart and mind and devotion unto you and you alone. We ask it today in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this passage of Scripture is not one that we normally turn to when you're wanting to do your personal devotion. It's one that um, we know a lot about. It's uh, something that we've heard and we're familiar with in many ways. But it's not something that we want to continue to remind ourselves about, though it is very important and very helpful. When I read about Lot's escape from Sodom, it causes me to think about 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. I'd like to read that for you this morning. This is what the word of the Lord says. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each, man's, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as though through fire. We know, Scripture tells us, it's the passage that Nathan read earlier. Peter makes it clear to us that Lot is saved. Lot is a righteous man in God's sight and will spend eternity with the Lord, but only as through fire, which is clear from the passage we're looking at this morning. This is not the first judgment in Scripture. We know that when God exiled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, that was a judgment, a judgment upon them, upon all of humanity for our sin. We have studied about the flood, and we recognize that the flood was an incredible judgment against humanity and its sin. This chapter, in fact, bears a lot of similarities to the story of the flood and Noah being delivered. And this won't be the last judgment. It points us to the ultimate and final judgment that comes at the end of the age. So why does God put these texts in the Word of God for us? Why does He give this to us? Why 
Can't we just have one and be done with it? Well, God posts these signs along the way to serve as a warning, a reminder of how serious these things are. What kind of stakes are at risk? They're clearly intended to warn us to stay on track, get on track, avoid the temptations of this world. In Genesis 18, verses 20 through 21, we heard the Lord say this. He said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry. In other words, I'm going to go down and see if the allegations against them, the outcry is true. And if not, I will then know it. So in this first section of chapter 19, we see God confirms the outcry. He does his investigation and comes away with a confirmation. Indeed, the allegations against Sodom and Gomorrah and all the valleys surrounding them is true. And so the two angels come to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate, in the gate of Sodom. Now, when we look back and see where Lot came from, we know that he and Abraham parted because the land couldn't sustain the prosperity they were experiencing by the hand of the Lord. And Lot made his choice based upon what his eyes saw. He saw the lushness of the valley around the Jordan, and that's what he decided to choose. Rather than deferring to his elder statesman, Abraham, and saying, no, you choose, it was quite the opposite. We see the humility of Abraham and the trust and faithfulness in God that God was going to supply him every need. And so Lot chose this valley, even though it was a wicked valley. Genesis chapter 13, verse 12 says, Lot settled among the cities in the valley and that he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Not into Sodom, but as far as Sodom. He was in the shadows, if you will, of the gate to Sodom. He was with, well within view of Sodom. Every day as he went about his tasks, he was reminded that Sodom was there. And all the things that were going on in Sodom. Verse 13 then of Genesis 13 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners, not just sinners, but great sinners against the Lord. So Lot set up camp in close proximity to Sodom and these people. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you want to give Lot the benefit of a doubt, you may say, well, Lot has a missionary spirit. He's gone there because he wants to see these people turn from their wickedness and turn to the Lord. So he's going to go there and preach the gospel. And he may have done some of that, but we don't have any evidence to suggest that's what he did other than what Peter says that he was distressed by what was going on in Sodom. Genesis 14 verse 12 this is when Abraham got drawn into this, when the raiders, the kings from the north came down and raided the cities in this valley. And it says that they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. So somewhere between that raiding and the separation from Abraham, when Lot set up his tent outside of Sodom, in view of Sodom, he made the move from just being in view to being in the city. 
It was, a, it was a short leap, right? It was a short walk to say, you know, I'm going to the city. I'm doing commercial activity. I'm engaged with these people. I'm getting to know them. I know they're not godly people, but I don't know that they're that terrible. And it'll save me some steps every day, and it'll be better for my family. They'll have access to all the best schools and all the best marketplaces and everything. And there's more security there. We're just going to go ahead and move into Sodom. And besides, we can be about the Lord's work there. They desperately need someone who knows the Lord and knows how to point them to the Lord. We can go to great lengths to justify associating with sin. So at some point, he's moved into Sodom. And now we see him in chapter 19 when the two angels show up. Lot is where? He's sitting in the gate. Now, this was traditionally the place where people brought all of their issues. They, this is where they brought legal matters that needed to be discussed and weighed out and judged and decisions reached. This is where the leaders of the city, the elders of the city, congregated, gathered, and made decisions to how the city was going to operate. And so Lot has moved from outside in a view to being inside, being a resident, and now he's hanging out with the leadership, which implies that he may have actually moved into an elder role there in helping make decisions for this city. Lot saw the angels, and he displays hospitality much the same way we saw Abraham do, except there are some subtle differences here, some real nuances. Abraham, if you remember, got up with an urgency and seemed to recognize that the Lord was among him, that, the Lord was, that he was in the Lord's presence. And Abraham began to invite and encourage everyone in his household to get involved in extending hospitality to these guests who were coming. This was the ancient custom. But with Lot, we see that he's a one-man band. He does all of this himself. He acts with some urgency, but his urgency seems to have a different feel to it, a different vibe. It's not out of a genuine, hey, come in and let's fellowship and let me serve you, but let me protect you because he's well aware of the character of his own city and the people that he later refers to as brothers. He knows who they are. He knows what they're about, and the reality of that comes to the surface as these foreigners, these guests, come in to the city. He wants to protect them. He knows he's a man of God. He's a righteous man. He has within him this hospitality desire, this protective desire against evil. He's in a quandary, and he's put himself in the quandary. He shows urgency, so it's clear he's well acquainted with what is on the horizon. The angels were going to sleep in the town square, but Lot insisted that they stay in his house. In fact, he was forceful in pressing them to stay in his house. It's interesting, again, I keep going back and repeating this, that Lot began, what, as a nomad in a tent outside the city. Now he's in the city. He's a leader in the city. And two times we're told he has a house in the city. Abraham's still a nomad, 
still following God, not attached to this world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with owning a house in this world, but at this time you get the contrast and the difference between where Abraham is and we've watched him be growing in his relationship and faith and trust in God and with Sodom, uh, with Lot, we see him going in a different direction. He seems to be planting himself in the world and embracing all the things of the world. Before retiring for the night, the men of the city surround the house. Not just a group of men, not just a certain segment of the city. Every last man, and this would include the future sons-in-laws, as they would be among the male population of the city, all gathered outside the house, and they demanded, they demanded that he give them access to these guests that they might know them. Now, this is where we get that uh, flippant expression people say, knowing someone in the biblical sense, okay? We're talking about um, sexual relations here. Now, there are a lot of people of a progressive and liberal nature who jump through a lot of hoops to try to explain this away and say, well, this is about something else. This is not about what you think it is. There, there's, this is not a commentary against uh, homosexuality or same-sex relationships. It absolutely is. It absolutely is, and you can't look at the context of this passage and intellectually, honestly come to any other conclusion. You can't. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. It's the same knowing that goes along with the marriage relationship that produces children. Lot went outside through the door and shut it behind him. He's clearly on the defensive, is he not? He understands. I beg you, my brothers. Isn't it interesting? He calls them brothers. He calls them friends. Do not act so wickedly. I have two daughters who have not known any man. Context. Let me bring them out to you and you do to them as you please. This is an extraordinary move. It's abominable. It's reprehensible in our thinking. How could a man who says that he follows the Lord, believes in the Lord, is a righteous man, subject his daughters, be willing to subject his daughters to this crowd? Uh, You know, different people have looked at this and said different things. Some believe that since his daughters were betrothed and therefore legally married, that he was setting a trap, a legal trap for these men that uh, because they were betrothed and therefore legally married, that any offense, transgression against them would be a capital offense. But if that's the case and it's the whole city of men, who's going to execute them? Who's going to carry out this judgment? I think that's a stretch. It's hard to navigate this proposal by lot. It's, it's just simply hard to swallow. Maybe he knew, maybe he knew the men would have no interest in his daughters. Again, it's far-fetched, but maybe. 
Maybe he hoped it would create enough confusion that his guests could slip away. All we can do is speculate. The facts say what they say. Lot's in a major bind, and it's his own making due to living in the city. Associating with these wicked people has resulted in a no-win scenario. The Sodomites have contemptuous words for him. They order him out of the doorway so they can get at his guests. They spew venom at him. They call him this one, this fellow, which uh, in a Hebrew context was, was a great insult. Uh, the children of Israel called Moses, referred to Moses this way after the, the uh, golden calf incident. They called him this man, this, this guy. In other words, he doesn't belong among us. They called him a sojourner or a foreigner. He has no rights here. They claimed he acts like a judge, but he is not a true member of our society. And they pressed him forcibly to enter Lot's house. So it's a dangerous mob, and they have bad intentions, violent and sexual. So Lot's divine guests make the next move. They reach out the door, pull Lot in the door, and close it. And they strike the Sodomites with blindness and confusion. Something similar to this happened in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18, when Elisha was in harm's way in a precarious situation, and the Lord struck a group that was uh, of Syrians who were attempting to do violence there with blindness in the same way. It's sudden, it's miraculous, it's a blinding flash. I, when I was reading this, I couldn't help but think about uh, military law enforcement who use the flashbang. I, I know that's controversial, but we've seen it played out, right, on movies or television shows or things where they throw those grenades in and they, they make a bright flash and they make a loud noise that disorients uh, people and blinds them temporarily. So no one escaped this affliction, and this was God's grace intervening in this moment. Now, as we've said, 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8 calls Lot a righteous man, but it's hard to see much evidence supporting the fact. He's made some terrible, terrible decisions. And when a Christian settles or gets comfortable in the midst of wicked and unsaved worldly people, there is, as J.C. Ryle said, no sure way to damage your own spirituality and to go backward about your eternal concerns. So God leaves no doubt the allegations against Sodom and Gomorrah are clearly true. It's a wicked and vile place. Lot and his family are the only light there, and it's a dim light at that, is it not? And we might even say it's flickering like a flame getting ready to die. And we've got questions about even his family. So a response from God is warranted. Judgment is coming. It's about to fall upon this evil valley. But first, the good news. God is going to keep his promise. He made a promise to Abraham that the righteous would not be swept away with the unrighteous. That the righteous among the unrighteous would be delivered Lot is not righteous because he acts righteously or has made righteous decisions, but he's righteous because God has declared him righteous. Just like we are, judgment is coming, but the only way out is by being righteous, and that righteousness is only by God's grace. 
For us, Christ living among us, being perfect, going to the cross, dying for us, taking our sin upon himself, and making his righteousness available to those who trust and believe in him. Lot's declared righteous in the same way. At some point in time, God had moved upon his life. We don't have any talk of that. We just have a declaration in the New Testament. We don't even see much evidence in his life to support it. But God has declared it's true. So God has found and confirmed that the city is indeed as bad as the outcry indicates. But then we see the mercy and the grace of God displayed. Lot is exhorted to gather his family that they may be rescued. Go get your family. Go tell those that you love. It's time. It's time to leave this environment. It's time. Uh, There's deliverance available. Judgment's coming, but deliverance is available. And so he goes to his sons-in-law. And he tells them, get up, let's go. Destruction and judgment's coming. We must flee this city. The scripture says that they thought he was jesting, that he was joking. They didn't take him seriously. They didn't take him seriously. Maybe you've had some of those conversations with people about what God is doing in this time and about the future Uh, destiny of this world and its sinful ways, and you may have been responded to in the same fashion. Listen to these words from Luke's gospel, chapter 17, verses 20 and following. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to him, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until one day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Maybe they didn't take him seriously because Lot didn't take it seriously. It's very difficult to make any adamant assessment of what's going on with Lot here. I'm conflicted. There's part of me that says Lot was stressed about what the, the kind of city that he was a part of. And it, he knew these people. He knew the judgment of God, believed the judgment of God was coming. And he's, he's concerned for them. And therefore, he's procrastinating. He's lingering because he maybe wants to gather others to follow him. Maybe that's true. Maybe we're giving him way too much credit. Maybe we're not giving him enough credit. I think every evidence is is that Lot was still in love with the world more than he was with the Lord because as he's hearing this urgent word, he's not able to convince those who are closest to him. 
They're laughing, thinking he's joking. So what kind of life has he lived in front of them up to this point? What kind of message has he shared with them up to this point? What has he been telling them? What has his life been demonstrating before this moment? That now they think he's just jesting when he's talking to them about something so serious. He's a believer, I think. Obviously, God tells us that, but he's deeply attracted, even attached to the world. Abraham had more urgency for the people and the place that is Sodom than Lot seems to demonstrate. Take your wife and your two daughters, lest you be swept away. But he lingered. But he lingered. He delayed, he procrastinated like a man fretting with a grill cover with a a volcano about to blow next door. Danish philosopher Kierkegaard once shared this parable. He said there was a crowded theater that hosted a variety show with many kinds of acts, each more fantastic than the one prior so it created louder and greater applause among the audience and suddenly a cloud rushed onto the stage and said I'm sorry to interrupt this evening of fun and and uh, entertainment but something I need to say that the building is on fire you need to get up in an orderly fashion and leave the theater but the audience thought he was part of the act so they laughed and applauded and again he told them listen You need to take this seriously. But the more he pled with them, the more they laughed. Until finally, he gave up and left, and the building and the people were destroyed. The philosopher says this in concluding this parable. He says, our age will go down in fiery destruction, not to the sound of mourning, but to the applause and cheering of the people. Apart from the incredible grace of God, we all deserve to be judged. These angels thankfully reached out, grabbed Lot and his family by the hand and took them, forcibly removed them from the city. The Lord demonstrates his mercy brought them out and set them outside the city and then gave them further instructions, escape for your life. Run away, flee this, lest you be caught in the judgment. And still, and still, Lot dragged his feet. Well, but the hills are so far. And the hills that you're talking about, I'm not sure we'll get there. Maybe we'll get swept up in it anyway. Uh, Send us to Zor. It's a small town. It's It's not that wicked. Just send us there. They just have a little bit of sin compared to Sodom, and everything will be fine. We'll make ends meet. We'll get established there. How easy it is for us to think we're not as bad as Sodom or as Lot. Judges 19, verses 26 through, or 16 through 26, is eerily similar to the first 11 verses of this chapter. There was a traveler who planned to spend the night in the open square of the city of Gibeah, a place inhabited by the Benjamites. 
And a certain man of the city, a certain resident there, protected this man just as Lot protected these divine visitors by taking him into his home. Men of the city surrounded the house in order to have relations with the visitor, just like in Sodom. And the host offered his daughter, his virgin daughter, just like Lot, but they refused. The guest who was staying with him had a concubine with him, and he pressed her out the door. And the men, the scripture says, took that concubine, and they used and abused her all night until the next morning she was left dead on the doormat. And that man took her body, cut it into 12 pieces, and sent a piece to each tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a gruesome event, not pleasant to read or to consider. But what's the point? The point is the Benjamites, who are Hebrews, are acting just like the Sodomites. All of Israel would have understood how wicked and evil Sodom was. And they would have made in their minds that, you know, we're a cut above. We're descended from Abraham. Even Lot... Not a direct descendant, but a blood relative. Even Lot escaped. God redeemed him. So Lot wasn't as bad. We're not as bad. This is man's, this is man's nature to typically give himself a pass. The Jews would have judged Sodom and Gomorrah harshly, as we often do. But what we take away from this text is all of us are depraved. Left to our own devices, we're all heinous rebels against God. It appears to me as I read this that Lot, had it not been for God's divine intervention, would have remained right there in Sodom. We know his wife would have. And likely his daughters too. He knew it was a sinful place. It was rotten to the core. But he couldn't break the affections that he felt toward it something in him that wanted to be there and it's true of all of us Paul described it in Romans chapter 7 about this internal struggle between the spirit and the flesh you know you deal with it every day we get up in the morning I want to follow God today I want to be pleasing to God I want my righteousness to shine forth I want the fruit of God in my life I want the glory of God reflecting through my life and the evil draws us and pulls us and presses upon us. Apart from God seeking us and extending His grace to us, we all deserve justice. Had He not taken you by the hand and led you out, you'd be without hope today. But bless God, most everyone in this room has been led away from that judgment. And if you're here today and you're not, you haven't, the Lord is extending his hand to you today. Take him by the hand and come out from among them and be distinct and be different. But those of us who have received his grace and been led away, we should live as though we have for the sake of those around us and for the Lord's glory. For the Lord's glory.
Father, we're grateful and thankful for who you are, for how you work in our lives. We thank you for your incredible grace. Lord, what a, what a horrible picture is before us. And we know that, Lord, you don't do this to uh, depress us and oppress us and cause us great uh, fear or any of that nature, but you, you warn us and, and enable us to see how serious is the matter, that eternity, judgment hangs in the balance for every person we encounter, for each of us. We're grateful that you have seen fit to show us in vividness how desperate, how desperate the situation is. That, Lord, we would not allow our hearts to put down roots in this world. Yes, be among them. Yes, be missionaries. Be faithful proclaimers of the gospel to them. Always ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. But God forbid that we would ever be mistaken for being one of them. And for being guilty, Lord, of not pointing them to you, their only hope. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that abounds in our lives. And we pray that, Lord, that is what may be the testimony of our daily lives as we go through this world. And that that might be the testimony and witness of this church. For we ask it in Jesus' name.